All right, well, good morning. I was able to greet most of you guys as you came in this morning. Appreciate you guys being here. Uh, we're going to jump right into this. We've got a lot to cover, so go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. It's towards the end of the Bible, uh, one of the last few books of the Bible, letters of the Bible. Uh, it's page 1218, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And again, just want to encourage you, uh, if you're not used to opening up the Bible and actually seeing it for yourself, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up, uh, get it on your phone, but have it in front of you. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, <clears throat> John, the Apostle John, wrote First, Second, Third John. He also wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote the Revelation, uh, which, again, people are really... Um, excited about that book, especially nowadays. Everyone's wondering who's the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but he wrote those. He wrote those about 60 years after Jesus was on the earth. And he's uh, doing so really to encourage the Christians of his day and for us today uh, to really look at it and make sure have we placed our faith in Christ? Is our faith real? And so. I asked you a question this morning. I asked it last week. We're going to ask it this week, and we're going to ask it next week, and that is this. Is your faith real? How do you know if it is or not? See, everyone lives by faith, right? Uh, you all walked in this morning, and I walked in here a couple times, and I saw people walking, finding a chair that they liked, and they were picking them up and looking and making sure they were structurally sound and that I didn't cut any of the legs off, and then they put it back down and they sat down which is wise to do, because I could do that to you. No, none of you did that. As far as I could tell, everybody walks in, talks to a few people, oh, this one looks good, and they just plop, that's faith. It's just putting your full weight of trust on the chair that you sat in. So we all live by faith. The real faith that we're talking about, we're talking about uh, that which helps us to know for sure that we have a relationship with God and that we're going to heaven. We talked last week, and Hebrews tells us that faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And by that faith, men of old, in other words, those even in the Old Testament, even before Christ came, men found their approval by God through faith, not through deeds, but through faith. See, everybody wants to get to heaven the problem is many have this phantom faith, this faith that they're going to get to heaven, they kind of think, hopefully, they think that they might be good enough, that they've done things well enough, that they've been a part of a church long enough, whatever it is, but they're putting their faith in something that's really phantom, it's not really there, because real faith is necessary and real faith is something that gives us confidence that we have this relationship with God. So we're going to take the opportunity in this series to answer this question, to, to evaluate ourselves. So as you're evaluating yourself, I'm evalu evaluating myself and asking the question, is my faith real? Last week we found out that Jesus said that there's going to be, he uses a, a story to, to kind of give us an understanding, there's going to be four basic responses that people could have to the gospel, to this good news that God put on flesh, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for our sins and, and provided us a way to have our sins forgiven in a relationship with God. And we talked about Titus 2, or 3, uh, where Paul explains in a very 
good way what the, the gospel is. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to basically say this. If you notice up there, he saved us. God saves us. It's not something that we do based off of any good works that we do or some religious rituals or traditions that we follow. Not that those are necessarily wrong. Some you know, probably are, but some aren't. But that's not how we get saved. It's not how we find our approval with God. Because it's something that God does based on his mercy. It's something that God does through the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives once we confess our sin and he regenerates us. That gives us spiritual life because we're spiritually dead prior to that experience. And he renews us and we become heirs of the kingdom of God. We become heirs of eternal life. We get to go to heaven when we die. Jesus talked about in Luke 8 last week about the illustration and, and using that story, he gave to us what, what real faith is. It, it's those who um, hear with a good heart and an honest heart. What that means is it's a receptive heart. So they hear the message that God put on flesh and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. They hear that message and then they hold fast to it. So they hang on to it. That word means to seize. And so they seize hold of it. So they, they hang on to Jesus Christ for their life, for their eternal life. And then it says that they bear fruit through perseverance. That's, that's the change that happens in our lives, the, the change of who we are and how we respond to life. And it's what demonstrates to ourselves and others that we truly are saved. Those things don't save us, but because we're saved, our lives changed. And so John, in 1 John 3, he says this, or 5, pardon me, says this, these things I've written to you who believe in his name, or in the name of the Son of God. So he's, he's writing to people who say they believe in Jesus Christ. So if you get the picture, there are some who say they believe in Jesus Christ, and then there's those who truly do believe in Jesus Christ, and you have both kinds of people in church. And so he's writing to those who believe in the, name of, in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's going to, he's packaged in 1 John 1, or actually 1 John, the whole book, uh, some things that we're going to look at that help us as we evaluate our lives. Is my faith real or is it a phantom? And so we're going to look at these. We're not going to get into a real detailed um, walkthrough of this book. We're going to be hitting some uh, bits and pieces of it as we go along over the next couple weeks. So let's go ahead and let's jump into this self-evaluation. Again, you're evaluating yourself. I'm evaluating me. Um, I'm not evaluating you, and don't you dare evaluate me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, says, it says this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So I don't know if you get the point here. What John is saying, hey, everybody, I was an eyewitness. <laughs> I saw what was going on. I was with Jesus. I heard what he taught. I saw what he did. So he proclaimed this to you also, so you may have fellowship with us, with John and the apostles and other Christians, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, His Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And so, right off the bat, here we get our first um, 
evaluation point of our life as it pertains to whether we have phantom faith or real faith, and that's this. Do you have fellowship with God in Christ? Do you have fellowship with God in Christ? Well, what does it mean by fellowship? It's a very Christianese type of word, right? We throw fellowship around all the time. Last Sunday, we had a meal together. 65 people after the service came, and we sat down and had a meal together, and we, we did what? We fellowshiped, right? And so we love the idea of fellowship being sitting around eating. And, and that has part of it. It's, you know, it, it is fellowship. But generally speaking, and this is the word koinonia, so if you're, if, you're, if you're familiar with things and been in church any length of time, you've heard the word koinonia. It's the Greek word that we translate fellowship, but we also translate it partnership and participation. So it's not just eating food together. <laughs> it's partnering together. It's participating together. Now, it's not an equal partnership or participation. So John says we fellowship with each other, but even more so, together we all fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And of course, God the Holy Spirit. But it's not an equal partnership. God is master, we're his servant. We're also told God is our father, we're his child. So it's not like we go, hey, you know, uh, you know here, God, I got some ideas, and I think, you know, if you bring in some of your power and strength and wisdom, and I'll bring in some of my power, strength, and wisdom, kind of work together, and we'll take care of whatever it is that I think we should take care of. And then next week we'll do your thing. It's not that, all right? It's, it's us coming to him going, okay, um, what is it that you want us to accomplish? And then can you give us what we need in order to accomplish that thing? And that's the partnership. We partner with God and with Christ, but it's us coming to him and him working through us to accomplish his mission on earth. See, to have fellowship with God, you must have a relationship with God. It doesn't make sense otherwise, right? You can't have fellowship with someone you don't have a relationship with, really. And so John fellowshiped with the disciples and with Jesus when he was on earth. And what did they do? They looked at Jesus and said, what are we going to do? Jesus said, we're going to go over to this town, and you guys are going to feed these people, and here's the bread you're going to use and the fish you're going to use, which I'm not sure why they used to get hamburgers, but here's, we're going to have you feed all these people. I'm going to provide. You do the work of passing it out. Okay, Jesus, what are we going to do now? Well, we're going to go over this town, and I'm going to be teaching some things, and then you're going to help the people organize themselves so that when I get ready, I'm going to start healing some people. And so they fellowshiped with Jesus by participating with him in his mission of bringing salvation to mankind. But it wasn't that he had a relationship with another guy, a friendship with some guy. He had a relationship with God, God the Son, the one who gave him life. How do we know that? Well, John calls Jesus the word of life. And he says, what was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? The word of life was from the beginning. Word of life, who's that? Well, John explains it in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, God the Son, Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God. When he says the Word of life, when he's talking about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. The physical representation of who God is. So he says, back in the first John now, when he says what we heard, 
It's, it's, just, it really, what, it's a really deep meaning here in, in the Greek. It means heard. <laughs> okay, so, um, what they heard, and then he says, what we have seen with our eyes, that's uh, what they call Hebraism, Hebrew. It's a, a Hebrew figure of speech. That means um, it's personal experience. So they didn't just see it. They personally experienced God at work, Jesus at work. And what we looked at has a word, uh, idea of investigation. And what we touched, it means this idea of like confirming through contact concerning the word of life, Jesus. And the life, Jesus, was manifested. And have we seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word manifested has this idea of openly revealed. So what happens a lot of times in, in religion, including some Christian religion, uh, they kind of have this Indiana Jones mentality, right? And so they're like, hey, there's, there's something out there, and there's a special way to get to it. And only I know how to get there, so follow me, follow my teaching. There's some riddle out there that you have to figure out, some map you have to follow. No, God manifested the gospel in flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, openly. He wants us to know who he is and what he's done for us. He's not hiding anything from us. And if anybody ever tells you there's some hidden message in the Bible, it's not. The gospel is the gospel. It's very simple. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, in what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in him. Believe him means that God loved the world and gave his only begotten son. Very simple. Or even in 1 John, he he says this, For who has the son has the life. Spiritual, eternal life he's talking about there. Whoever does not have the son of God, makes sense, does not have eternal life. (laughs) Right? That makes sense? It's pretty simple. This is, why, this is why I'm telling you, I, I just love being a Christian because I am not a complex man. <laughs> okay? You can't put things really, you know, I need things very simple. I memorized this when I was a little kid, and it made sense to me then. It still makes sense to me today. Here's what Paul says. I love this because he uses the word fellowship. God is faithful through whom you were called. So that's kind of cool. God calls you. That's kind of neat. Called you into what? Fellowship. Koinonia. God calls you into partnership and participation with who? With his son, Jesus Christ. When, when, so God's offering you salvation, and in that salvation, he's offering you and me to have participation, to partner with Jesus, just like John did, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this world. So the relationship is secured through Jesus Christ, but the fellowship, this, this partnership and participation with God only deepens, and this is key. You've you got to grab hold. If you, if you don't, you know, I love when pastors in the past always said, if you don't get any point, get this one point. Well, that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. This, this uh, depth of relationship, this, this genuine fellowship with God only comes, uh, deepens through shared experience. In other words, facing life's challenges with God, the way God says to face them, that's when we understand 
and truly see that I've placed my faith in, in Christ because I'm letting God be the one who's at work in my life and I'm partnering with him by letting him be the one who does the work in and through me by me doing what he tells me to do and then I get to know him better. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. <clears throat> he says that I may know him. There's that word again. And this is always the same word in the Greek. It means to know someone completely. So that I may know him, know him completely in the power of his resurrection. That means I, I, I want to be able to know who Jesus is and I want to see him work through my life. Use me to do things the way he wants me to do it for his mission. And the fellowship the partnership and participation of his sufferings. Paul's saying, man, I, I, want to exp- I want to know Jesus so well. I want to have such a deep and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that I'm in a relationship with him, I want to know that so badly that I, I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I, I want to experience the same sufferings that he experienced for the same reasons that he experienced them. That was shared experience. See, this is why some Christians don't um, really feel a sense of connectedness to God. They don't feel like their relationship with God is really growing any. They don't feel close to God. Because they say they've placed their faith in Christ, and so they say they have a relationship with him, but they've never taken the next step, and that is to bring God into their life situations. A, a lot of Christians, and it's sad, and I've ta- I talk about this all the time, you guys. Everyone's too busy. I got, I'm too busy for time in the Bible. I, I'm too busy for time in prayer and talking and having a conversation with God over what he's teaching me in the Bible. I'm, I, I'm too busy for time with you know, other believers. I, I just got too much stuff going on. And then what happens is they don't feel connected because what's happening is they don't have anything over here to bring over to life. And so then they go into life doing life their way and the next thing you know, they're, they're flat on their back wondering where God's at. Over here. <laughs> Waiting. Let's, let's have a relationship. Let, let me show you what I can do in and through you over here. I got a call. I use, I use Bill a lot as, a, um, as an example. I asked him if I could use his name. First service, I didn't use his name because I hadn't asked permission yet. I got permission. This is such a cool story. And, and I just, you know, you know, afterwards, just go up and give Bill a big hug. You know, just, Bill's like, don't do that to me. So, as you guys know, um, Jenny's got some hip stuff going on. And, uh, uh, Bill had uh, kidney stones, plus his, he's having some hip issues, and they're just, a, they're just kind of a royal mess. So, uh, but it's been neat to see our church family come around them and, and meet their needs. But um, So they told Bill that he had to go in and get his kidney stones surgically removed. And uh, Bill hates surgeries. I would have him come up here and tell a story, but he'd take too long. Um, so... <laughs> so so I'm going to try to speed it up. Um, anyway, so he calls and says, you know, let me just tell you my experience. I hate surgeries, and I'm sitting in the hospital, and I'm all by myself. He says, you know how some people say you got people all around you, but um, you're all, you feel all alone? I said, yeah, yeah, I've heard people say that. 
He goes, I was all alone. I was in the hospital by myself waiting for a surgery that I did not want to have. And he goes, then I decided I'm going to do something. I'm going to start praying. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And, and I didn't feel alone anymore. Huh. So I, I'm on the other, uh, other side of the phone, of course, and I'm, I'm kind of laughing a little bit. And uh, so then I said, well, you know, Bill, you know what just happened there? You know what? You experienced a promise from 2,000 years ago that God made to you if you would just simply do what he asked you to do. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You just got Philippians 4, 6, and 7. <laughs> Not sure what the... No, that doesn't even sound good. But anyways, be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. By the way, that's not just pray one time and go, no, it's doing a build it. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. It's continual. Let your requests be made known to God. And the God, I always miss this part, the God of peace will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's some sort of thing about comprehension in there. Um, but the point is, that the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 2,000 years ago, that promise was given, and Bill experienced it this week. Why? Because over here, somewhere at some point, he heard that, that you need to pray. And so he said, I'm going to take a step of faith, because i got nothing left. <laughs> I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to do what God calls me to do, and I'm going to start praying. And then God says, let me give you some shared experience here. Let me go ahead and give you the peace that you need, that I promised you to have, that you would never have known if you hadn't prayed in the first place. Shared experience. It's also why Christians rarely, some Christians rarely connect and serve in church. There, there are people who tell me that, yeah, I just don't really feel connected to church. Or, you know, it's really kind of hard to build relationships at church. Now, I haven't heard this about our church, but I'm just saying I've heard it over, over the years. Your church isn't really friendly. Again, not our church, but I'm saying people have that. The reason why is because they don't have shared experience with people. You, you can't know people unless you're with people. And you can't know them well if you haven't spent a lot of time with them going through difficult times together. Bill and Jenny know a lot of you guys really well now. Why? Because they went, they're going through difficult times. Others of you are going through difficult times. And your church family is coming around you. You're getting to know them. They're getting to know you. You're meeting their needs. They're graciously accepting it. And then Bill tells me, you know what I'm going to do when everything's better in our lives? And what's that? I'm going to do everything people are doing to us. <laughs> he says. It's awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome. Fellowship, partnership, participation, deep, genuine relationships happen through shared experience. Paul talks about in, in Philippians 1, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your, now this time they take koinonia and they say participation. 
So in view of your koinonia, your fellowship, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, Paul was excited about the Philippians. He didn't know them. Not all of them. But he was excited about it. He felt close to them. Why? Because they're joining with him. They're participating with him as he was participating with Christ in getting the gospel out. And they didn't just share their faith. They shared the sufferings because they were being persecuted just like Paul was being persecuted as he sat under house arrest. And this is one of the side blessings that we get, that this shared experience then makes our joy complete. This is a fruit um, that is developed in us as we fellowship with God and with others, as we participate with others. That, we, that is that our joy is complete, is made complete. Joy, the word there means cheerfulness. It has this idea of, of calm delight. I'm going to start a new tea called Calm Delight. Wouldn't that be nice? It's kind of a spiritual tea, you know? When you're having a rough day, I'll just, my commercial will be, having a rough day? Have some calm delight. You know? I think that'll go a long ways, don't you think? So, yeah. Calm, but seriously, it's a calm delight. It's, it's the opposite of depression. It's the opposite of anxiety. It's the opposite of discouragement. And then the word complete means to cram, to level up. What God is saying is, if we choose to get into this fellowship with him and we begin to develop this deep, meaningful relationship with him, and he's working in our lives, he's going to cram us full of calm delight. Not just the tea, but what's in our heart, what's in our life. But if we don't, we don't get crammed up with joy. I mean, just read Scripture. Whenever the people of God were discouraged and frustrated, what did they do? They went to God's Word. They spent time in fasting. They spent time in prayer. They got people around them. They fellowshiped with God. They fellowshiped with others. And in that, they experienced the joy that God promises. We're really good at telling us the stuff that's going to cause us to be depressed. We need to get a lot better at telling us the things that God's told us which brings us joy and doing the things that God calls us to do that brings us joy. And for those that don't know me, I'm a person who deals every single day with that issue. My brain has just been wired through a bunch of different reasons to look at the negative. I call it being realistic. But it's looking at things. So I, I know what I'm speaking of here. And the only thing that really gives me a lot of joy is what I do on Sunday mornings. <laughs> or when I'm sitting there talking to somebody about the Lord. Then I have joy. It's amazing. All right, okay, we're going to move on. So there's, there's three other characteristics of real faith, and we're going to fly through these real quickly because everything flows out of this fellowship. We get the fellowship right, we're going to get the rest of this right. It just kind of flows together. So follow along as I read. The first one's going to be real faith is aware of personal sin. Okay, so real faith is, a, is aware of personal sin. So follow along as I read here in John uh, 1. So this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Here's the message. God is light. 
And in him there is no darkness. There's no sin, no speck of sin, no hint of sin, no thought of sin at all. He's purely holy, righteous, perfect, no sin. If we say we have fellowship, partnership, participation with him, and yet walk in darkness, in other words, sin, or don't do life God's way, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, do life God's way, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. We actually do have fellowship, partnership, participation with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, someone who says, I have fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness, God says, you're you're a liar. You don't have fellowship with me. And a person who has fellowship with God and, and demonstrates it by doing life God's way, that person is demonstrating that they truly have a relationship, fellowship with God. But this walk in darkness, this gets Christians a little bit uh, nervous um, because they're like, did I, did I sin too much? Maybe, I've, maybe I have sinned too much, that type of thing. Well, look what uh, John says later on, John chapter 3. He says, everyone who practices sin, so that he's going to basically explain to us what walk in darkness means. It says, whoever practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, continue to sin, because he is born of God. Now, first of all, he's not saying that we can live a perfect life. This is, please understand he's not saying that we can live a perfect life because here on earth we cannot live a perfect life. The key word here is practice and lawlessness. I'm going to try not to say that word too many more times because my speech impediment keeps me. (laughs) I have to really think through that word for some reason. So walk in darkness means to practice sin. Practicing sin means that you're practicing lawlessness. In other words, you're living life. You say you're a Christian, but you're living life as if there's no godly commands for you to live. Some people call it Christian atheism. So they, they say, yes, I'm a Christian, but they live as if there's no God, no commands. You, you see this a lot. It, it could be an action, and it could also be an, an attitude. You know, we might be living the Christian life, but our attitude isn't because we want to be more like Christ. It's because we want to put on a show for people. Um, and so it, it, it has both the exterior and kind of an interior thing. Let me continue on. Going on, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is awesome, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. However, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So where phantom faith claims fellowship with God, but when convicted of sin, they're like, well, I haven't sinned. I don't, I don't need to confess anything. I'm not a sinner. Real faith says, oh, um, yeah, Lord, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I screwed up. Please forgive me. And Jesus promises that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So when we, we come to him, real faith realizes, oh, man, I screwed up again. Why? Because when you, when you are um, 
when you have this shared experience, okay, with God, and then you, be, you start seeing God at work in your life, and, and you become closer to him, and you understand him better, he starts showing you all the different places in your life. He usually takes it, you know, slowly. But he shows you where you're not really doing life his way, where, where you're going to hurt yourself if you continue going down that road. And you're like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. So the real faith confesses their sin. Real faith says, I need God's help. Another way to look at it is this. If you're willing to battle your sin with God's help and his Holy Spirit, that's a good indication that you have real faith. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you're going to be battling it. You're going to be taking God's word, and you're going to be asking the Holy Spirit, give me understanding, help me know how to battle against this. Going along with this, the next one is uh, real faith obeys God. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. I'll read it, say a couple things, and move on to the next one, because this is kind of a no-brainer, right? So real faith obeys God. By this, and if you're reading this at home, you should ask the question, by this, by what? We know that we have come to know him. Here's the answer. How do we know we've come to know him? If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's phantom faith. But whoever keeps his word, his commandments, in him the love of God has truly been perfected, completed. That person has experienced salvation by God. By this, by what? We know that we are in him. So how do we know we're in him? The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So, phantom faith, pretty obvious. Phantom faith says, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but they don't obey God's word. They may not even know what God's word is because they're not doing the fellowshipping part. Real faith, because they're doing the fellowshipping part, chooses to obey God. Sees what God's word says and moves in his direction. They want to have that fellowship and participation. The final one is this. And it's connected to the two greatest commandments that God has given us. And that is love God, love others. So the real faith loves other Christians. Now, we get it. We're supposed to love everybody, right? We practice on each other. Okay, so we got to get it right here, and then we can get it right outside. But this is what he says. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And that word stumbling in the Greek is the word we get scandalous from. Uh, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we know what biblical love is, right? This is the word agape, biblical love. Biblical love is looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it costs us, what, what sacrifice we have to go through, Right? So God loved us so much, what did he do? He sacrificed Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. So when we're to love others, it means sacrificing. But here's the problem. Those with phantom faith will find excuses for why it is they can't sacrifice their time, their finances, their possessions, whatever they need in order to help their fellow Christians physically or spiritually. A person with phantom faith says, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I don't have time to pray, and, and uh, you know, I really can't uh, worship on Sunday mornings, and uh, I, I can't get to Bible study on Thursday nights, and I'm too busy, I, I can't really serve uh, anybody in the church, and I, and I and boy, I certainly can't disciple anybody. They come up with excuses. There's always reasons why. 
They can't follow through and do what it is that God... Those are the basic things that God calls us to do, what I just, what I just said. Those are just the basic things that God wants us to do as, as Christians for each other, not to mention people outside the church. So phantom faith operates that way, but real faith, they sacrificially love. They, they sacrifice their time, their finances, their possessions in order to help meet their church family's physical needs and spiritual needs. And let me just say, I love what God is doing in and through our church family. It's just awesome to watch. There is several people got together and gave an anonymous financial gift to the canons. I didn't ask them to do it. That was just something that they felt, man, they're our Christian brother and sister, we got to help them. And so one person contacted several other people and blessed the pants, well, we didn't bless the pants off you because that would be embarrassing, but, you know, and then Kim was out running around and so I said, hey, just grab one of the, welcome, the gift grace baskets that we have. So she brought that over with the money in it and left it and ran and, uh, you know, just made a huge impact. She thought the dogs were going to come out get her. When we're in fellowship and partnership with God, then we're going to be in fellowship and partnership with each other. Those who have phantom faith, they walk in darkness. You ever tried to walk in your house when it's dark? I mean, you put the furniture there, right? So um, if, you, if you come over to our house, we're in remodeling mode still because I can't seem to get my act together. And um, so our back room, you walk in, is our bedroom, but we've kind of walled it off so you can't see anything. Uh, we've got some dressers and a, uh, a uh, filing cabinet. So I get up in the middle of the night, and i got to use this little boy's room, and I go in the dark, and then I come back, and it's even darker in the back room, so I'm like, okay, filing cabinet. Okay, good. Uh, bed. Okay, good. But there was a, a clothes basket, and my baby toe hooked the basket. Now, at 2.30 in the morning, hooking your baby toe on a basket, I don't care how tough you are, that hurt. I mean, you talk about that little piggy went squealing. Um, I get back to my bed, I'm angry, you know. <laughs> plopped him. <laughs> trying to sleep, you know, all angry. Uh, I put it there, so it's my, my bad. But that's what happens. When, when people who have phantom faith... They are part of a church family, but they're not willing to do the thing God calls them to do. They end up hurting themselves and their church family because that's not how God designed it. That's not how he planned it. That's not how health happens in a church for both an individual and a family. But the one who has real faith, they're not going to cause scandal. And it sounds worse than it is. It means offense. It's not going to cause issues. They're not going to hurt themselves. They're not going to hurt their church family. Why? Because they're doing what needs to be done to help the church family. And when you help the church family, you help yourself. God causes fellowship to occur when we do life his way. I'm exhausted. How about you guys? That's a lot of, a lot of information. You're going to need to take some time this week to, to work through it, but let me just close with some, some takeaways as the band comes up. Again, just a couple, based off of what God's Word says. During this time, as, as the band plays, I hope you guys 
uh, do business with God and think through these things. But the question is, is your faith real or phantom? And so the first takeaway from this morning would be, if you're here this morning and, and you're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> now that you mentioned all this, I'm not really sure. Well, make certain your faith is real. In other words, accept that relationship that God offers. He says we're all sinners, and so you don't have to admit that. You know, I know I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And I believe that when Christ died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sin, and he rose again for my life. And if you simply have that conversation with God, it's not a straight, it's a simple thing, right? We talked about it. It's just very simple. Your heart to God's heart is having a conversation with him. Listen, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. And what did, what did John tell us? That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, right? And so that initiates the relationship. Make sure that happens today, right here, right now. Have that conversation with God. While the music plays, have that conversation with God. If you have questions about it, I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk to you about it. And if you're already a follower of Christ, the second point is that real faith is demonstrated in real life. We have to remember that God calls us into fellowship with him, but it's participation and partnership with him. Not some warm, fuzzy feeling, but determined effort to do life God's way. And in doing that, he empowers us, and now we get to know him better. And our relationship with him deepens, and that, that fellowship grows. And we get to see God at work in and through us, impacting other people's lives. So go ahead and stand as, uh, as they close out this morning.